we know so very little about them. We have the record in here in Matthew about Joseph. We have a story in the book of Luke about Mary. Was he tall? Was she attractive? Did he follow his father into his craft? Did she have her mother's personality? Um, were they happily married? I, um, I, I decided to talk about Joseph <clears throat> from Matthew chapter 1 again. I was, I was here two years ago. You know, I, I, the one problem of having a computer is it remembers things that I forget. And I looked back and found that two years ago I preached on Joseph from Matthew 1, 18 to 25. And then about six years before that, I preached on Joseph from Matthew 1, 18, 25. And I, and I read both those sermons and I thought, do I really want to preach that same sermon again? <clears throat> and then I, um, I thought, you know, in today's culture... We desperately need men, men like Joseph, men who are men of character, men men who are obedient to God's word. We desperately need such men. And, And then I began to think about Mary and who she was and what is revealed to her in in the scriptures. And again, we don't have a lot of storyline except for those circumstances that are surrounding the birth of Christ. We don't know what she was like as a, a teenage girl. We don't know what um, she was like as, a, as an older woman. We don't know uh, anything about her immediate family, her mom, her dad. We got the name of her dad. That's about it. Did she have siblings? How many? Who were they? We don't know any of those things about Mary. But what we do know about Mary is similar to what we do know about Joseph, her character. We, we do know how she responded to the opportunity that God gave her here in this, in this storyline. I, I, I'm going to read to you, and, and maybe if you have a Bible, turn with me to Luke chapter 1. And, and, and what I'm going to do this morning is I'm going to talk about marriage. You say, <laughs> Pastor, great, it's Christmas, and uh, we want to hear about the Christmas story, and instead you're going to meddle into our home. And uh, uh, yes, I'm going to. Um, and I'm going to talk about marriage because I, I, I would propose to you that Joseph and Mary, because of their character, are an example of what a first couple, what a, an example of a couple should be like. Uh, let me read to you from Luke's story about Mary in verse 26 of chapter 1. Now... In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. 
And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom. There will be no end. Then Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I do not know a man? And the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore, that also that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now, indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is now the sixth month for who is, who is called barren. For with God, nothing will be impossible. Then Mary said, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Skip down, if you would, in your reading to verse 45. This is the word, these are the words of Elizabeth when John did a somersault in her tummy upon the walking into the room of Mary. Elizabeth says this Blessed is she who believed, speaking of Mary, for there will be a fulfillment of those things which were told her from the Lord. And Mary said, Now we call this the Magnificat, which is. Uh, Latin, I understand, for uh, uh, magnify. This is uh, Mary's magnification of God, and we get that title from, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior, for he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. For behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he has spoken to our fathers, to Abraham and to his seed forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her house. What we do have, as I said, is a picture of their character and I think we can get that picture of that character from these two texts. So I want to talk about the first couple, not Adam and Eve, not Donald and Melania, uh, I want to talk about Joseph and Mary and the prototype or the, the picture that they ought to be of your home by the character that they emulated. Number one, the first couple, Joseph and Mary trusted God and practiced faith in God's word. <clears throat> they trusted God and practiced faith in God's word. Uh, and I'm going to go back and forth between Matthew 1, 8, Matthew 1 and, and Luke 1. And you can put a marker in both places and go back and forth or just listen. Matthew 1.18, we find written there, Joseph, a just man in my King, new King James. King James says that. Many translations use the word righteous man. Um, the, what Ted read today said that he kept all the law. Um, just, it, it, when we use the word just, my new King James word, 
we, we usually mean something that is fair. Well, that, that's a just decision, and by that we mean it's a fair decision. Uh, the word righteous that's in other translations is probably closer to the heart of what's going on here. Um, remember, Luther will comment on the just shall live by faith, and what he means is, is the righteous, the redeemed, are those that have been converted. When this says that Joseph was a just man, it means he was a believer in what God said. It means he trusted God and that God had regenerated his heart. It means that his standing before God was righteous. That's what it means when it says he was a just man and that was evidenced by his behavior. Not only was he a believer, but that changed the way he lived. By the way, just to give the gospel here this morning, uh, the Bible teaches us that we're all sinners and that we all need to be redeemed. We need to be regenerated. We need to be made new, born again by faith in the work that God has done for us through his son, Jesus Christ. Joseph had that kind of faith. Listen to what it says about Mary in verse 47 of chapter 1. My spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. And then again, verse 49. He who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name, and his mercy is on those who fear him. We'd not only call these two believers, but we would call them committed evangelicals. I believe that every facet of their lives was colored by their individual relationships with God. They were who they were because of their faith in God, because of their faith in God's word, and that was evidenced by the things that they did. Therefore, I believe their marriage was impacted by that belief, by that faith. A marriage where two people are committed to Jesus Christ will prioritize worship, will prioritize service in their church. I think couples who lack commitment to church shouldn't wonder about the impact on this, on the next generation. I don't know why the kids, well, yeah. What is your commitment to the church? What is your commitment to the things of the Lord? What is your commitment to a relationship with God and having that transcend or transmit into everything about your family, everything about your life? Is your relationship with Jesus Christ such that your children see that it is the focus in your life? A marriage where two people are committed to Jesus Christ will abhor the consequences of their sin on both their marriage and their children. Um, One of the things that that marriage premarital counseling has to deal with is this question. Um, what are you going to do when your spouse sins against you? And, you know, most couples going into a marriage don't want to talk about that. Oh, why do you want to get married? Oh, because we're in love. Oh, we want to get married. Oh, because, you know, maybe we want to get out of a situation we're in. But whatever a reason to get married, then the next question is, what are you going to do when there's a problem? What are you going to do when someone commits a sin, you or, or the other? What, what, what are you going to do then? I would propose to you that people who are committed to Jesus Christ, who are believers who are committed to obeying Christ, are people who are going to hate the consequences of sin, hate what happens in their life. I, um, I fear. I fear the consequences of my sin. When, when, when you think about today's pornographic entertainment, 
When you think about the casual attitude towards alcohol use that is more and more prevalent in our evangelical world, when you think about the greed, the lust for wealth and things of this world that dominate our culture, I, I, I would propose to you that these sins have generational impact and that marriages that would determine that Christ is first will be consisting of couples with an abhorrence of and a fear for the consequences of sin in their life. On Thursday night when I was beginning to think about this sermon, Pastor Schaefer challenged us from the lives of John, the parents of John the Baptist. And, and, and he mentioned a verse, and, and when I went back to my Bible, Jeremy, after, after you said what you did, and I, and I came back to this text and looked in, in, in Luke 1, 6, I found that I had taken a, a pen and put a square all the way around Luke 1, 6. Listen to what it says about the marriage of, of John the Baptist's parents. It says this, And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. <laughs> wow! <laughs> what an awesome example of what a marriage couple should be like. And they were both righteous, walking in all the commandments of God, blameless. I'm sorry, I, I, I'm not even close to that description but ought this not be the goal of every marriage in this room? Of and, and maybe you're a, 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 a young person or a single today, and you're, you're obviously the sermon's not for me. No, no, it is, because there's success in every avenue of life when we determine to do things God's way and to fear the consequences of sin and to determine to walk in a manner that would be pleasing to Jesus Christ. There will be results. And the results will show up in your joy and in your <laughs> commitment to a marriage, like I think Joseph and Mary had. The first couple, Joseph and Mary, trusted God and practiced that faith in God's word. Number two, Joseph and Mary were kind and considerate. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 20, as Joseph learned of his engaged wife's pregnancy. And you've all heard this many times, but I'm going to tell you again. In, in that day, a contract was made between Joseph and Mary's family that he would have her to be his wife. And she stayed home with her father in her father's house to prepare herself for that wedding day. And then her husband would go out. It was a husband. The contract made it so that it was a marriage. The, the husband would go out and prepare a home for her to live in. And then when the day that the husband's father announced that the home was fit for his son to bring in his bride, the young man would, would lead a procession of his friends and go get his bride from her father's house and lead her from that place to the house that he had prepared for her. It's a beautiful picture of our relationship with Jesus. So Joseph is during this period, he is preparing a home under his father's supervision, preparing a home for Mary to come to when Mary leaves town. She's no longer at her daddy's house. And rumor comes back, or maybe Mary told him that she was pregnant. Maybe, maybe she told him the whole story. In full disclosure, I, 
I, you know, I hope it wasn't a hallmark thing where there was this big secret that Joseph didn't find out about. I, I hope Mary went and told him, said, hey, you know, an angel showed up and, and I need to go help Elizabeth and, 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 and left. May, I hope that's what happened. But, but just the same, Joseph is, <laughs> say what? <laughs> and, and, and shame is a very motivating, powerful thing. And in that day, a, a, an out-of-wedlock, don't even hear that term anymore, an out-of-wedlock pregnancy was an incredibly shameful thing, a, a grave disgrace. And so Joseph was considering these things. He was considering what to do. He was considering how to respond. He was considering the weight of shame, or maybe wondering what in the world uh, Mary was thinking and leaving at this time. My question is, do we want a kind spouse? When, when Mary learned about Elizabeth's condition, that this elderly cousin of her was, hers was pregnant, Mary takes off to help. So you got Joseph wanting to do that which is kind. He is determined to put her away privately, divorce her secretly or quietly, not making a big deal of it. And, and Mary, on the other hand, is, is off to help a, a cousin. Both of them were considering the kindest way possible to treat somebody. Do you want a loving wife who dotes on your wishes? Then as a husband, be kind and tender and generous with your time and affections. Wife, do you want an attentive husband who is considerate and understands you? Then, then be respectful and dedicate the best of your energies to his life goals. I remember a scenario where I was speaking with a wife, uh, a woman in our church, and, and she had done something, and, and I asked her concerning that thing that she had done. I said, is that what your husband wanted you to do? And, and she said this, he didn't say no. And I said, you didn't answer my question. Is that what you knew that your husband wanted you to do? And she said, Nothing. I said, then you're not submissive. You're, you're, not, you're, not, you're not doing your part. It, it, the, the husband should do everything he can to love his wife, be considerate of her, respect her person, and, and, and create a place where she can flourish. And the wife should do everything she can, by the grace of God, to do her husband's agenda, what his goal is for his life and for the family. And, and if both are extending grace to the other to do that, there will be great kindness. I had a conversation this week where we remembered um, a, a particular couple who was just mean to each other. You know, you know, you remember the cartoon that was in the newspaper? You remember the newspaper? All right. In, in the cartoon page of the newspaper, there used to be this section called the Lockhorns. Remember them? And day after day, it was hilarious looking at the cruel way the Lockhorns treated each other. 
Unfortunately, some people think that's the way marriages ought to be. No. 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 It's not the way marriages ought to be. It is not your job, woman, to keep him down to size. It is not your job, man, to control her every thought. Rather, it is your job to create a a kindness, a consideration, to extend grace that, that, that you might have joy in each other. You know, sometimes the very best thing for a spouse to say to the other is nothing. If you can't compliment, if you cannot encourage, then shut your mouth. Is not, do, you, do you know that, that when you got married, you did not get the job of the teacher or corrector of your spouse? I remember a story I heard back in a counseling class in Bible college that there was this couple and they're on their first morning of their honeymoon and they're on some resort place where there's this fancy cabin and there's a beautiful lake and, and, and they wake up the next morning and, and there on the table there was a, a bowl of fruit that was available for them. And the wife goes over and she picks a grape off the top of the fruit. And the husband went and got his knife and he brought it to the, he says, I see you don't know how to eat grapes. Let me show you how. She went back over and took another grape off the top of the fruit bowl. And so went their honeymoon. Him trying to tell her how she was going to live from now on and her trying to assert the fact that she was not going to live that way from now on. Needless to say, that's why they were an illustration in the counseling class. It's not your job to teach your wife. It's not your job to fix your husband. Aren't you glad? Because he's not fixable. Not by you anyway. And she's not trainable. Not by you anyway. Right? Is anybody with me? So whose job is it? Well, it's God's. So what can you do about him? Pray for grace. Extend grace and be kind. What can you do about her? Pray for grace. Extend grace. Be kind. Be considerate. I think we can see that in the lives of the first couple. I think they trusted God and practiced faith in God's word. I think they were kind and considerate. Number three this morning, Joseph and Mary humbly submitted to God. They humbly submitted to God in difficult situations, in difficult circumstances. Matthew one twenty four says, Then Joseph did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. Then Joseph did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, embracing the shame. Pride and self-defense are rooted in the male psyche. Like Adam, Joseph could have said, it was the woman's fault, let her fix it. Instead, Joseph humbly owned his wife's pregnancy and lovingly, physically cared for his wife's needs without the benefit of sex until after Jesus was born and after the cleansing time of That took place after that. He lived with her for over four months without sex because he obeyed God, obeyed God's agenda. Males who want sex with no consequences or responsibility are selfish punks who know nothing of real love. And yet that seems to be the dominant male in our culture. 
I do not wonder why God chose Joseph for this most precarious and precious duty of being the father of Jesus Christ. God knew the character of Joseph. Then listen to what it says about Mary in this regard of obeying. Luke 1.38 says, Behold the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. Was Mary oblivious? Didn't she get the shame that was going to accompany this in her culture? Was she insensitive to the potential pain that Joseph was going to feel? Had she no plans, no dreams for what the wedding was going to be like? The proverb says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. When we have plans, when we have expectations that are changed by circumstances or by other people, it is always disheartening, discouraging. This is especially true at Christmas. Unrealized expectations may cause many to choose the grumps. No wonder uh, some choose rather to be a Grinch by saying something like, he who expects nothing is never disappointed I think uh, uh, Randy quotes his grandmother saying that. Well, you know, it's Jan that says that? Oh, well, sorry, Jan. You know, there's something wrong with that. Safeguarding our hearts, and I know that Jan doesn't really live by that model. Safeguarding our hearts by removing all hope does not bring joy. And rather, when my hope is deferred, rather than choosing to let my heart sick, and we should choose submission. We should obediently choose to acknowledge that God is sovereign and not us. And that we should choose to hope in his word and his promises and not in people or circumstances that will disappoint. Mary could have responded as a victim. She could have put on the martyr's cloak and said, woe is me, everything's terrible. I... I was looking up Mary as a victim because of something I'd once heard and I thought I'd heard in a sermon. I was trying to find it. And, and, I, and I stumbled on a, a, a website or a blog that was written by a witch. I, I'm sorry, it's the best I can say for her. And, and, and this, this woman that wrote this article apparently was responding to something President Trump had said about the virgin birth. And Here's what this woman said, that Mary was the victim of a patriarchal rape and a grand cover-up, that while she was in her father's house, contracted to this widower named Joseph, who was much older, she, this young 12 to 14-year-old girl, was raped either by her father or by Joseph or by some passing soldier. And so as to cover up the whole thing, there was this fantastic story invented that was a fulfillment of the cultural promises concerning a Christ child and that the Roman Catholic Church and all Protestantism has swallowed this great lie. I went home after seeing that and I said to Lynn, you know... That makes perfect sense. If you hate God, you believe in evolution. If you reject all submission to the sovereign authority of God, then it makes perfect sense that a poor Jewish girl was a victim of a patriarchal rape. Listen to Mary's words. Let me read again from the Magnificat. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior. For he has regarded the low estate of his handmaiden. For behold, all generations 
will call me blessed. Does that sound to you like a victim? (laughs) Not at all. That's a victor if there ever was one. This is not some poor ignorant teenager who was being abused. This is a, a woman of God rejoicing in what God had chosen for her and that she was exalting in how God was going to bless and use her to generations to come. Oh, that we may rear a generation of, of women like Mary. Not victims, but choosing to be victors in their faith in Jesus Christ. There are many forces pulling at our children today. Are you as a couple willing to prioritize Christianity, godliness in a world that is diametrically opposed to it? Prioritizing uh, Christian education. And, and I don't care what form it is in but there is a mandate for fathers to make sure that their children are taught. In the lives of your children, will you teach that money or church are number one in your schedule? Obedience to godly principles, submission, and that's what I'm getting at here. Both Mary and Joseph were willingly, may I say, committed, joyful in their submission, humbly obeying. Joseph and Mary trusted God and practiced that that faith in God's word. They were kind and considerate. They humbly submitted to God in difficult circumstances. And then one more, not necessarily from the text, but from the larger narrative in their life. And, and, And maybe this is wishful thinking, but I think it's true. Number four, Joseph and Mary persevered in godly and righteous choices. At no point in the biblical story do we ever have a hint that Mary or Joseph wavered, deviated from their character, from their willingness to choose rightly. We don't know anything else about Joseph after the, the, the story when they were 12, Jesus was 12. We think he died. We don't know. We know that Mary was at the cross and that she had a relationship of being cared for by John the Apostle after the cross. But I believe since the scripture tells us nothing else, we can assume that they persevered. We know know it happened at least through the the tumultuous events of the baby's miraculous birth, of of the trip down to Egypt, uh, back to Judah, up to Galilee. We know that during the 12 years, Joseph and Mary were committed to believing, trusting God, and following the law. Marriage is not a one and done. It's a marathon, not a sprint. The marriage road may take you up some pretty ragged cliffs and down into some very dark valleys. Perhaps you say today, Pastor, what you said is all good for Joseph and Mary, but you don't have a clue how dead our marriage is. You don't know how dark my world is. I was talking to one lady once about her marriage, and she said to me, I am numb. I have absolutely no feelings, nothing. You're right. I don't know where you're at. But God does. And wherever you're at in your marriage, in your character, in your relationships, I can tell you how to find joy. You ready? It's really, really, really complicated. Yeah, you know better, right? It's one day at a time. It's one step at a time. Receiving God's grace and obeying God's word.
That's it. And it doesn't matter how dark your soul may be today. It doesn't matter how deep your marriage is in trouble. It doesn't matter how high the mountain is ahead of you. That as you would daily, step by step, submit to truth and wisdom, the end result is a godly character. The end result is a peace and a joy. And when there are two of you committed to this enterprise, it is a double joy. Merry Christmas. I wish good for your home. I wish good for your family. I wish good for your soul. I wish good for your children. We are living in a wicked day, and many who are Christians are disregarding God's word in light of things that are present around us. May I tell you that Joseph and Mary ought to be our examples. And and, and yes, the wonder of Christmas, the amazing thing that Jesus came, God was born, reared by Joseph and Mary. Yes, all those truths. But let's look at their character and know that God is not dead. God is not done. And this ought to be a pattern for us, to have their kind of character, commitment to obeying God, and let that be the hallmark of our marriages. Father God, I think in your word I have not stretched the agenda of the Holy Spirit when he wrote the books of Matthew and Luke and gave them to those two men to write down for us. I think there is revealed for us a picture of a godly woman and a godly man who are chosen for an incredible task. And so, God, you have a task for me. You have a task for Lynn. You have a task for every man, every woman in this room, God. And I pray that you would help them to respond rightly, regardless of the circumstances brought about by people or stuff. And help us to glorify you in our obedience, our submission, our extending grace given to us, to others. Heads bowed and eyes closed a minute. How about it? Do you treat him with honor? How about it? Do you treat her with the kindness, with the tenderness, with the respect? of the holy treasured thing of God that she is? Do you treasure her opinion? Do you honor his wisdom? Do you bite your tongue never to say some things that enter your heart? Do you yield your right to fix him Will you please give up on your agenda to change her and let God be glorified in your home by having it be a place of submission and kindness this Christmas and following? Maybe your response says this morning, Pastor, you've just trivialized the whole thing and you are walking where you don't need to go. Okay. 
when you're done throwing stones at me, if you're feeling guilty, maybe you need to talk to God about this. Chair. Sure.